message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a little more detail in just a moment, but the events of that week, the week of passion, as many call it, uh, we've just walked through that story and thought about when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Everyone was cheering. If you remember, uh, the word Hosanna that people were shouting that had a really distinct meaning. And so while they were saying, blessed is, the, is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and, and uh, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of his father David, and all the things they were thinking about when they saw Jesus coming into town, when they said the word Hosanna, that signified they identified Jesus as their source of salvation. Hosanna means save us now. So that was a really distinct word. And how quickly that same crowd changed their tune in the space of five days or four days. And by Thursday and Friday all of a sudden everybody was calling for his crucifixion. And that brought him to this point to institute what we're about to do. And so I just want to say a word about this so that everybody understands what we're doing. And, and I know I do this all the time, every time we do this, but it needs to be said. This table signifies the sacrifice of the body of Christ and the shedding of the blood of Christ on our behalf. And Jesus told His followers, do this in remembrance of Me. He said that over and over. Remember what I'm about to do for you. Because He did this before He and His disciples left the upper room and went out into the garden where He would pray and then ultimately be arrested and all those events would be set into motion. So this is a very serious moment. And so we need to consider that before we partake of what's on this table. Not because there's any magical uh, power in these elements, but it's because of what it represents. So as a pastor, I always make sure I, I tell folks if you are a believer, if you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, your forgiveness, and eternal life, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church. It matters if you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and trust in Him, then this table is for you. However, if you're here today and you can't honestly say that, that you belong to Jesus, that He's saved you from your sins and you trust in Him for your salvation, if, you, if, you, if that's not you then first of all, I'm so thankful you're here. But I would ask you to refrain. Because the Bible is very clear about how we should examine ourselves before we do this. And this is for believers 
specifically and only. And so it's for your protection. If you, if you don't belong to Jesus, it's for your protection that you don't partake. But you observe and understand what's being done and why. And so with that being said, we're going to come to the table and uh, I'll ask our, our deacons to come and, and prepare. And then as they do that, let me share with you what the Bible says about this. The Gospels, uh, they, they give an account of what Jesus did on that night. And then later, Paul, the Apostle Paul, would write to the church what we do and why we do it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what he said. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. Now listen to this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. Then and eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. As Paul gave those instructions to the church, he was very particular. And so, we don't want anyone to eat and drink judgment on themselves. We want you to examine yourselves. I have to examine myself. We have to examine ourselves before we do this. And here's what that means, simply. While these things are being passed out, take a moment and pray. Lord, is there anything in me that's wrong that needs to be set right? Lord, is there anything I'm keeping from You that I need to give to You? Is there anything that I need to start doing that I've not done? Whatever is in me that doesn't line up with what You want me to do, help, help me go the right direction. That, that's an examination. And the Lord will honor that and He'll speak to you and He'll guide you through His Spirit. And if, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you very clearly how, how you can have a relationship with Jesus. But at this moment, observe and, and learn. And then uh, Jesus Himself will draw you into His presence. Father, I thank You for this day and I thank You for all the blessings we've received. I thank You that because of Your body that was broken on the cross and because of Your blood that was shed on our behalf, we can find forgiveness. We can be saved from our sins and we can have an eternal home with You in heaven. 
And so Lord, today as we briefly discuss the events of your final week and look forward to celebrating your resurrection, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us clearly and that you would show us your goodness. That we would sense your presence in a profound way today. I pray that we already have. And Lord, lead us closer to you by way of the cross. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Briefly today, I want to spend just a few minutes pointing us to a cross. If you look around, there's crosses everywhere. I've Just in, in a moment, I've, I've counted six already, and I, and I may be wrong. There's one here. There's one here. There's the windows in the back doors. There's one in that window. There's one in that window. There's one in the back window. They're everywhere. Many of you may have a piece of jewelry on today with a cross on it. But what does it really mean? What does it signify? There were a lot of events that took place right before Jesus made His way into Jerusalem. And so just as a way of reminder, I want to remind you the context of what was happening when Jesus went into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And this is a combination of the Gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of events that had taken place right prior to that moment. In Matthew chapter 20, we see that Jesus spoke a parable about laborers in His vineyard. About how those who came early were paid the same as the ones who came late. But everybody was paid for their work in the kingdom. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus blessed the little children. His disciples tried to keep them away, remember? And He said, no, let the children come to Me. If you don't embrace the kingdom like with the faith of a little child, then you won't enter in. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus had an encounter with a rich young ruler and explained to him how he needed to put Christ as his priority, not his possessions. And the Bible says he walked away sad because he was very wealthy. In Luke 19, Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ because Jesus came to town and and he wanted to see him. Remember the little song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up the sycamore tree. And Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. And it convicted him and he came to faith in Christ. In Matthew 20 and in Mark 10, Jesus foretold his suffering for the third time to his disciples. They hadn't picked up on it yet. In Matthew 20 and in Mark 10, James and John requested uh, a preferential treatment. Very uh, distinguished areas of leadership when Jesus took over. They wanted to sit on His right and His left. And they, uh, they were foolish in thinking that they could do everything He was going to ask them to do without His help. Jesus taught a parable about stewardship in Luke 19. He, he gave the, the parable of the ten minus, how one was, given five, one was given ten, one was given five, one was given one. How did you handle what God gave you? Jesus healed a blind man, Matthew 20 and in Mark 10. Perhaps the, the greatest miracle that we recall from John chapter 11, though, 
was when Lazarus was raised from the dead. You remember that story, I'm sure. Jesus was on His way to Bethany as He was approaching Jerusalem. And if you recall, when He got word that Lazarus was sick, He intentionally waited. He didn't run and go straight to help because He knew what He was going to do. And so He waited. And, and when He got there, and when He raised Lazarus from the dead, and Martha and Mary were standing on with all the other onlookers, do you remember what Jesus asked Martha and Mary? Didn't I tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Isn't that a question that Jesus asked us today? If we would just believe, we would see the glory of God. But we doubt so often because our judgment and our minds are clouded by the circumstances around us. And we fail to, to trust in the Lord. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, anointed Jesus' feet with expensive perfume. And several of the disciples, most notably Judas Iscariot, fussed at her for wasting something so expensive. Not because he cared about anyone, but because he was a thief. And he was in charge of the money. And all these things had taken place from all these different perspectives, accounts given from the four Gospel writers. And here's the last thing that Jesus said prior to our Scripture today. In Luke 19, in 26, He says, I tell you, to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want Me to reign over them, Bring them here and slay them in my presence. Just a little bit of foreshadowing for the ultimate end of those who have faith in Christ and those who reject Christ. So our passage today, I'm just going to read this short passage and just say a couple of words about it. It comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40 following the two verses I just read. Here's what Luke writes as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you there, and as you enter you'll find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. So they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, 
Rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now I want to just stop right there as we think about today and look forward to this next weekend. Testify. That's what I put on the title of this message. Testify. What does that word mean to us? If you think about a courtroom, what is a witness supposed to do? They testify, right? It's their job. You come up in front of the room, you, you swear an oath that what you're, the testimony you're about to give is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right? That's how it used to be. And then you testify. You answer questions honestly, truthfully. That's the job of a witness. Well, if we're Christians, then we are witnesses to the Gospel. We're witnesses for Christ. Which means we have a job, and that job is to testify. And if you examine these accounts, this is just one. There's a similar account in Matthew and in Mark. But I chose this one in Luke 19 because of the question the Pharisees asked. Now, Luke does not explain all the enthusiasm around Jesus and His entry into Jerusalem, but Matthew and Mark both note that this is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Because in that passage in the Old Testament, Zechariah points to the Messiah. Here He comes. He's seated on a donkey's colt. He's riding into town. And this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. So there can be no doubt then that the, the multitude that was watching that day saw Jesus' entry to the city in light of that prophecy. They were greeting their king when they saw Jesus coming into town. And people were happy. The disciples were obedient at this point. The process of Jesus making it from where He was which was about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and going into town, he sent a couple of disciples on a little, little job. You need to go find this, this colt. And I want you to see a, an, an interesting little detail here. The Bible says in verse, in verse 30, Jesus told them they're going to find a colt that's tied up on which no one had ever sat. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Everything about Jesus is sacred. Jesus came into this world to take on human form, but He didn't just come into the world like everybody else. He was born of a virgin in a supernatural birth. When... He was about to ride into Jerusalem. He rode on a colt that no one had ever sat on before. When He died for our sins and Joseph of Arimathea asked for His body so He could be buried, He was buried in a brand new, unused tomb. Is that a coincidence? Or is it just the fact 
that a king has sacred things. And by the way, the reason why Jesus' tomb was borrowed is because He only needed it for the weekend. He was going to check out Sunday morning. So all these things took place exactly how Jesus ordained them to be. Every little detail was taken care of. Nothing was left to chance. That's not how God works. He knows what He's doing. And He has a plan. And so, when Jesus comes into town, everyone is overjoyed. And it's so ironic that all the same voices that are shouting praise and saying Hosanna and waving palm branches and laying their coats on the road, in just a few days, everything's going to turn. And they're going to be calling for His death. They're going to leave Him, forsake Him. Even His own disciples are going to run away. Even the most bold of His disciples is going to be so scared that He'll deny Him. Deny that, it even, that He even knows Him. When a, when a young servant girl questions who He is, even that's enough to frighten Him away. Everybody runs away except for Jesus. And so, in this question that I want to focus on as we close today's service, I want us to just zero in on a, on, on a, a thing that happened at the very end here. When the Pharisees questioned Jesus and then told Him to rebuke His disciples and ask them not to praise Him the way they were praising Him. Because this is a very important part of the story. Jesus affirms to the Pharisees that all this shouting, all this praise is inevitable. It's unavoidable. He makes this statement in verse 40, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So, so this, this is our main, um, our, our main takeaway today. There's a subtitle to the message that's not on your screen. I put the word testify, because that's what we're supposed to do. But a subtitle to that could be something like, Don't let the rocks do your job. Don't let creation, even inanimate objects, be forced into service because we neglect our responsibility as witnesses. Jesus says that if these people were to be silent, the stones would cry out. You know what that means? Cyril of Alexandria. He was a, um, a religious leader, a spiritual teacher in the late 300s, early 400s A.D., very close to the time of these events. You know what he wrote when he read Luke's Gospel? He said, It is impossible for God not to be glorified. Just, just think about that for a minute. 
If we shirk our responsibility and we don't give God the glory and the praise that's due to Him, stuff around us will start to holler. Can, can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Not to mention miraculous, but just in, how, how terrible that would be. If the rocks and the trees have to start praising God because His, His own people refuse. He, he went on to say, it's impossible for God not to be glorified even though those of His chosen people refuse to do so. What a, what a horrible statement. If I don't faithfully obey, if I don't give God all the glory that He deserves, in other words, if I don't do my job, all of creation <laughs> will shout, will cry out. Is it, is it any um, coincidence then that when you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and you look at Psalm 19, and you read verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The work of His hands are de it's declaring, the, the, the skies above are uh, de declaring His handiwork. Everywhere we look, it's as if you can almost think, well, if creation had a mouth and a voice, they'd be screaming. They'd be shouting, this is what you were made for. You were made to give glory to God. So, as we look forward to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, um, we should consider the task we've been given. And so, I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we will not shirk our responsibility. Because here's the truth. There was perfect harmony in the world. Everything was as it was meant to be. And then sin entered the picture because of man's disobedience and rebellion. And after that happened, God immediately came to the rescue. And in Genesis 3.15, He told Adam and Eve, I'm going to send someone to make this right. The seed of the woman. Looking forward to Jesus. There will come a day when I will fix this problem that you've created. And then Jesus came. And you read in all four Gospels how Jesus came, born of a virgin, humble circumstances, the Bible says he had no, nothing about his appearance or his form that we would even be drawn to him. He wasn't Mr. GQ. He was just a normal guy. And yet he's the Son of God walking around in a, a fleshly body. He lived a life that was completely free from sin. And then he voluntarily laid down his life, submitted himself to arrest and a... a trumped up charges and a false trial and torture 
beyond anything we can imagine. And He laid down His life on a cross, no less, the, the worst execution imaginable. He allowed Himself to be killed only to raise His life up again on the third day. He says that in John's Gospel. Nobody takes my life from me, Jesus says. I lay it down of my own accord that I may raise it up again. He, he did that. And because He did all that, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. So, so that's the, the gospel truth. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. And that's the truth that can set you free from your sin. Believe in Jesus. Trust in, in Jesus to forgive you of your sin. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.